Hey, it's Doug Bursch, and you're listening to Fairly Spiritual. Some of the most powerful words Jesus ever said, he spoke to a room full of men. He said this, leave her alone. Let me repeat it. Leave her alone. We're going to talk about these important words and why it's important to focus in on these specific words in this specific climate today. Leave her alone on Fairly Spiritual. Doug Birch, and this is Fairly Spiritual, and I appreciate you listening today. Leave her alone. Jesus said these words to a room full of men who were judging the offering of a woman. I think about uh, the fact that sometimes uh, when someone is pastoring or ministering or in any leadership position or just on Twitter, that somehow we begin to think we have the right to just assess and judge what other people do. In fact, we kind of live in a culture like that. I don't know why I said kind of. We live in a culture like that where we just assume we have the right to assess and judge what other people are doing. To say, okay, now that you've given your offering to the Lord, let me judge it. Let me assess it. And I just wanted to spend some time here uh, looking at a story where Jesus looks at a room full of men who thought they had the right to judge a woman's offering, and he said to them, leave her alone. And in fact, then he pointed to the fact that this woman was actually leading the men in the room, that she had had a prophetic insight to who Jesus is, to what his purpose on earth is, and to what his uh, future was going to be, that she was actually teaching the entire room about the purpose of Jesus on earth and what his future purpose was going to be. It's a powerful passage, and what I just want to do is get into this. And if you don't mind, I'm just going to preach today. So, uh, yeah, you don't mind. What are you you going to do? I've already recorded this. It's just going to happen. So I'd like you to listen, and uh, it's uh, Mark 14, and I'm going to spend a bit of time on this scripture, and I think it'll encourage some of you who've been feeling attacked, judged. Uh, It's not just for women, obviously, but uh, I really do think that some of you have been in places where uh, others are just constantly assessing your offering. You present something before the Lord, you you get something from Scripture and you share it. Uh, you, your life is an offering, right? Your, your life energy is an offering. And then people immediately come in and just begin to assess it and say, you should have done this with your time, and you should have done that with your time, and you should have done it this way. And I'm not talking about, uh, you know, extreme moral failings that you're taking the church's offering and going to the horse track and betting on horse number three. 
Um, I don't know why I picked horse number three, just did. But I'm not talking about that. I'm just saying that people just assume that it's their right to wait for you to give an offering and then to judge that offering. That they think it's their right to sit in judgment over what you do. And I think this just might encourage you a little. So we're just going to get into it. And we'll go wherever the Holy Spirit leads. And uh, so go to Mark 14. And I've been preaching through Mark in our uh, church. And uh, I preached on this last week. And, and this isn't me just rehashing my sermon. Uh, these are points from the sermon. But there were, there were things as I was preaching the other day. While I was preaching, I thought, man, this has relevance to so much of what is going on in our culture, to the Me Too movement, uh, to misogyny, to the oppression of women. Uh, just it, it's powerful towards how God views women, how Jesus treated women, how we're supposed to respond to what's happening right now in our culture. So Mark 14, open your iPhone or your iPod or your Bible to this passage. If you're driving, please pull over to the side of the road. Okay, Mark 14. It was now two days before the Passover and the Feast of Unleavened Bread, and the chief priest and the scribes were seeking how to arrest Jesus by stealth and kill him. For they said, not during the feast, lest there be an uproar from the people. I'm just going to stop along the way. I hope you don't mind here. Uh, and one of the things that's fascinating to me for Jesus is that, uh, you know, it was harder to arrest him in the countryside, right? Even there's these power dynamics that there's the battle between the Pharisees and uh, the Sadducees, and the Sadducees, and the and the, those who ran the temple, and those who were more in control of the synagogues. And so when he's out in the countryside, it's a little bit harder to arrest him and to gain control over him. So one of the things is Jesus is now in Jerusalem. He, he's, he's arrestable, if I can use that word. You can get him. And so they want to get him because he's in town, but they don't want it to be associated with the Passover and to have too much of a stir. It's kind of ironic how God uses this reality to show that Jesus is the Passover lamb, that he comes in during Passover, and yet it also feeds into this idea that they're like, okay, he's in town, we can get him, but we don't want this tied to the Passover. Of course, we know that it very much, uh, the, the death, uh, the crucifixion, and the resurrection of Jesus Christ is very much tied to the Passover. But let's move on here. Verse 3. And while Jesus was at Bethany in the house of Simon the leper, as he was reclining at table, a woman came with an alabaster flask of ointment of pure nard, very costly, and she broke the flask and poured it over his head. So we see that Jesus is in Bethany. Bethany is like 1.5 miles east of Jerusalem. It's uh, the southeastern slope of the Mount of Olives. Uh, scripture says uh, this is where Mary and Martha and Lazarus uh, lived. So this is close to Jerusalem. Jesus is staying in the, the house of Simon the leper. Now, I assume you can study, scholars talk about who Simon the leper is, uh, but the reality is I don't think he's a leper at this point. I mean, that'd be kind of mean of Jesus, right? And Mark says this, and other gospels say this, that Jesus healed every disease of those who came to him. It would be kind of mean of Jesus to heal everyone, but Simon the leper is like, no, I'm not going to heal you, but I'm going to stay in your house. So it's, it would appear to me that Simon the leper was one of those people that Jesus healed, and out of the gratitude of that, uh, he's now a, a disciple, a follower of Jesus, and Jesus is staying in his house and so Jesus is st staying at the house of Simon the leper. So while Jesus is staying in this house of Simon the leper with his disciples and other followers here, 
a woman comes in with an alabaster flask of ointment of pure nard, very costly, and she broke the flask and poured it over his head. Um, and now, just describing nard. Now, nard is like the least attractive word, nard. You know, just saying it sounds funny. If you gave your wife, I'm going to give you some nard. It, it just obviously doesn't sound very beautiful. But uh, nard was an extremely expensive uh, essential oil, basically. Pure nard was this amber, or still is actually, this amber-colored oil. Uh, it's, it's, I was doing some research on it. It was derived from this flowering plant, and the name is too hard for me to pronounce. I'm not going to do it, but it's from the Valerian family. And you actually find it, you can only find it in certain places. Now, at this time, I don't quite know where they got their nard from. I don't know who their nard supplier was. Uh, but you can only get it uh, in, at certain elevations. Like uh, the elevation is from 9,800 uh, feet to 16,400 feet. So the plant only grows at high elevations. And you can only get it now in the Himalayans of Nepal, China, and India. So somewhere in those areas. And they don't take the flower. They actually take uh, the underground stem and they grind that up and you get this thick kind of gooey amber colored oil and that that was used in, in all their perfume making and what was also fascinating with this is although it doesn't say this in the old testament scholars have shown that for uh, in the first temple and the second temple that nard was used uh, for the altar of incense uh, the altar of incense, if you know about that, is when they would do the daily sacrifice in the morning and in the evening, the sacrifice for the sins of the people. They would also uh, use the the altar of incense in the morning and in the evening. And on the altar of incense, they would burn this nard. Nard would be one of the fragrances. And that's very important to remember. So... This woman has this this vial, or this, actually not this vial, but she has this flask of incredibly expensive uh, ointment, pure nard. Says it was very costly. And she broke the flask and poured it over his head. So I don't think it's like, you know, <clears throat> it's not like a, a bucket of this, but enough that, you know, it's wasteful, at least in the opinion of those who are there. There were some who said, and this is a verse four, there were some who said to themselves indignantly, why was this anointment wasted like that? For this ointment could have been sold for more than 300 denarii and given to the poor. Now, the 300 denarii is important there, that a, a denarii would basically be what you get for one day's wage. And one day's wage would be like you work 12 hours, you get one denarii. Uh, they didn't have unions back then, so you didn't have the eight-hour workday. So 300 denarii is basically uh, a year's wage. So what the, they're saying, a few of the people in the room are saying, why have you wasted a year's wage pouring this perfume on Jesus's head? It says they were indignant and they scolded her. Let me read that again. For this ointment could have been sold for more than 300 denarii and given to the poor. Like, you could have done something noble with it, not wasteful and stupid. And they scolded her. 
It's fascinating. And I, I'm, I know I'm just keep stopping here and you're like, Doug, just read the passage. But I, I just want to go through this. There, there are so many things in this. You could spend hours on this, but you don't have hours to give me. But, but, but there's a couple things even economically for this woman. You know, women don't have power in, in the culture that Jesus is in at this time. They don't have money to throw around. There's so many things in this offering that you could spend time thinking about. Uh, this woman doesn't even have access to income to give to Jesus. So you even wonder, how did she come upon this nard? Like, how did she come upon this perfume, this, this essential oil? And in the context of this, you think that at some level, this might have been, for her, the only gift that she received. And, and, and this might not be the case. I mean, I'm not trying to be little, but this is something in her economy that she got. Maybe somebody gave it to her. Maybe whether it's a, a father or a husband or an elder brother or somebody, somebody gave her this and, and it's like, oh, you know, perfume and those things, those are for you. You're a woman, that kind of thing. And it has value and, and it was given to her and, and probably she was supposed to use it uh, throughout her life or as, you know, something very special to mix with different perfumes and, 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 you know, th that, uh, you know, something very special within your area, your area as a woman, right? That's, that's kind of your stuff. And here you go. And so she took the best thing that she had the most valuable thing she had, and I'll tell you why I know it was one of the most valuable things she had. She took the most valuable thing she had and she wasted it upon Jesus. And the reason I know it was the most valuable thing she had is the way they treated her. Now, if she was just a super rich woman that had money to throw around, she would not have been scolded. If she was just, let's say, a woman who the disciples thought was just foolish, but they thought she had a lot of money, they wouldn't have treated her that way, right? If they had said, okay, she just did something foolish, but she's like the wife of a really rich man, and so we need to be nice. They would have said something like, hey, you know, uh, that's nice of you, but like next time, uh, maybe some cash, maybe some gold, maybe something else. See, the way they talk to this woman, you can tell her economic standard. You can tell how she is in society. You can tell that what she's just done is she's taken basically all that she has. At least all that she has that is of value to these men because they're treating her in a way where they don't care about her respect. They don't care if they ever see her again. They have nothing more to get from her. In fact, what they could have gotten from her uh, is wasted in their term because we could use this money for important things, but you've wasted it on Jesus, and so you're of no value to us anymore, and you have nothing left to give to us. It's pretty powerful when you think about it. In my opinion, from this text, you see this woman has given basically all she has of economic value in the sense of what she can actually give away. Whatever is of hers to give away, and she's given it away, which it equals a year's worth of wage. When you think about that, a year's worth. And she has nothing left to give, and the response from the room is scorn and ridicule, and people saying, you should have given a more worthy offering. In our modern Christian vernacular, you should have done something more Christian. You should have done something more righteous. What you did didn't please Jesus. You should have helped the poor. You should have helped the needy. You know, the poor are important, and you wasted this on anointing Jesus' head. And they scolded her. Verse 6, 
But Jesus said, leave her alone. Let me say that again. But by the way, if you get anything out of today, if you, if you, you know, for those who are listening, uh, I, I think some of you need to write this down. Uh, sister, friend of mine, sister in Christ right now, you're listening. It's okay for you to write this down. That people have been hounding you. They have been attacking your offering. They have been judging your offering. And Jesus would look at that room full of people and he would say this, leave her alone. Let me just say it again. You have been hounded. You have been attacked. You have been judged. You've given your all. You've given your best. Just as this woman gave what was most of value to her. You've been given your time and your resources and your money and your energy and your heart and your soul has been given to the offering that you're giving to Jesus. And you're serving Jesus. You're literally coming to serve Jesus. And it's like there's a room full of men. And they're scorning you and ridiculing you. And Jesus looks at them and says this. Leave her alone. Why do you trouble her? She has done a beautiful thing to me. Notice Jesus doesn't even start with arguing about the sufficiency of things. He doesn't start with, hey, let's talk about whether that she should have, you know, given the nard and trans, you know, made it, turned it into money and given it to the poor. He, he just starts right to the heart of things. He doesn't get into an argument about anything. The first thing is just leave her alone. What makes you think you have the right to judge her offering? This is, you, you think about the arrogance of this. This is that woman's offering. It's her, it's her livelihood. It's her money. It's her perfume. It's her worship. And the room thinks that they have a right to judge it. Just the fact that that room of men think they have the right to judge her worship. And Jesus goes right out, leave her alone. You, you don't have a right to judge that worship. Leave her alone. And, there's, and I think there's some, there's some dialogues going on right now in our culture. And you see this on social media. And, and you see it where there's people who just think they have the right to judge other people's worship. And you don't. You do not have a right to judge other people's worship. You can talk about, like, this is how I think we should live our lives, and this is what I do, and here's my testimony. And, and yes, I get it that there are places of critique and criticism and to point to what the Scripture says, but the reality is many of us are just literally watching people give their offerings to God, worshiping God with their heart, soul, mind, and spirit, and then we're jumping in and going, you know, you should have done this with that, and you should have done this with that, and Jesus says, that is not your right, child. Leave her alone. Why do you trouble her? I think Jesus is saying that to some of you uh, on the flip side, where you've been harassing people and Jesus would come to you and say, hey, you leave her alone. Why do you trouble her? She has done a beautiful thing to me. Verse 7, 
for you always have the poor with you. And whenever you want, you can do good for them. But you will not always have me. She has done what she could. There's so much in this. This is not saying that the poor shouldn't be taken care of. In fact, it's, it's, it's showing that she understands something really sacred and important is happening right now that is not going to happen every once in a while or always happen. This is a once and for all event that's going to occur, the crucifixion and resurrection of Jesus Christ. He's actually pointing something very important. The poor are extremely important. That's what we're about. We're not just about uh, preaching, but we care about the poor. We take care of the poor. We feed the poor. We heal the poor and the sick. It's an important part of our mission. Jesus isn't belittling that, but he's saying this. Dealing with the poor is something that's going to be a mission for the church until Christ returns. Dealing with injustices is going to be a mission of the church till Christ returns. But what Christ is going to do in the coming days through his death and resurrection, this is a once and for all event that is more important than these other activities. And this woman understands it. Jesus says, she has done what she could. She's done exactly what she could. She's given her best. She has anointed my body beforehand for burial. And truly I say to you, wherever the gospel is proclaimed in the whole world, what she has done will be told in memory of her. Those words are so powerful because I don't know if Jesus is prophesying or telling about what's going to happen or commanding for something to happen. Because he's saying, this room is not honoring this woman. You understand right now, every single one of you men, you are not honoring this woman. This woman has done exactly what she should do. Everything she could. She is honoring me and honoring the moment. She is teaching every man in this room of where their focus should be, where their attention should be. Their attention should be on Jesus Christ, on the cross, on what is going to happen here, that he is the sacrifice for our, ten our sins. He is the anointed one. He is the one who takes away the sins of the world. He is the Lamb of God. He is the one who will do it all. She, is she, she sees. She already sees. Like You don't anoint a live person. In this sense of burial, says, she's preparing my body for burial. You, you don't, you, 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 you anoint, or in that sense of for burial, someone who's dead. She's already understanding that Jesus is already dying to himself. He is already moving towards the cross. He has already surrendered his life into the hands of the Father. She already sees with these prophetic eyes that he is the Lamb of God, that he is the sacrifice that will take away the sins of the world, that he is the anointed one. And Jesus comes to every single one of the men in that room and says, she has done everything. Leave her alone. She is doing what is most important. She is teaching every single one of you to prepare yourself for what is to come. She has already prepared herself for what is to come. She understands this moment. She understands who I am and what is to come. That the most important reality is not even just my words, but me, myself. I am the bread of life. I am your righteousness. I am your worth. I am your present and your future. I am your hope. She understands that I, myself, am the anointed one. 
not just my activity. It's not just about the activity, the plans, the programs, that Jesus Christ himself is the bread of life. He is the answer. He is the one. He is the anointed one. And then Jesus goes this far to say, not only should this room of men have acknowledged this woman's worth, but I want whenever the gospel is preached for this woman's worth to be acknowledged. That's a powerful thing. He says, whenever the gospel is preached, people will tell the story of this woman who understood my worth. Which if I were to flip it this way, whenever the gospel is preached, the worth of women is acknowledged. Jesus is commanding. You know what's going on in this room? You know how everyone's judging this woman's offering? You know how everyone has something more important than to acknowledge the most important thing that's happening in this room? That this woman is leading us and teaching us to understand that Jesus Christ is the light. Jesus Christ is the Lamb of God. Jesus Christ is the Passover Lamb. Jesus Christ is the Anointed One. You know how everyone is judging this offering and not understanding that she's the only one who gets it? Jesus says, whenever the gospel is preached, people will preach about this moment. And they will preach about this woman's faith. And they will honor women who have this kind of faith. And if they don't honor women who have this kind of faith, they do not honor the gospel. It's a powerful passage. And this is what makes Judas upset. Immediately it says, Then Judas Iscariot, who was one of the twelve, went to the chief priest in order to betray him to them. And when they heard it, they were glad and promised to give him money. And he sought an opportunity to betray him. Judas had enough. Judas was like, I have enough of this. He just wasted a year's wage. Judas is angry at Jesus. Here Jesus is like, you just, we had, we had a year's wage that we could have used to help the poor with our programs, with our systems, with our plans, with our strategies, and you wasted it on yourself. You wasted it on this woman. You gave this woman a platform and you shamed us to give her a platform to do some foolish thing about anointing you for this thing where you keep talking about that you're the life and the resurrection and all this garbage, when what it's really about is we're going to build ourselves an army or we're going to build or mobilize ourselves a group of people who will take down those people in, in positions of power. And if we just mobilize enough people together and we just get a big enough crusade, we'll get ourselves in power and then we'll take down the bad people. But instead... You let this woman waste a year's worth of wage so she can anoint your head with some stupid perfume. So Jesus goes and he forces Jesus' hand. Or excuse me, Judas goes and forces Jesus' hand. Judas says, you know, fine, that's it. I'm going to put this thing in action. Because the Messiah I serve, the Messiah I serve, he's going to fight those in power. He's going to topple them through power and through force. Not through being a lamb that is sacrificed. There's so much in this. I just wanted to spend some time on this. I'm not gonna I'm not not gonna connect all the dots here. There's so many things in this passage that that affect me. 
I just think about the response here, what Jesus is saying to this woman. He says to this woman, you understand that, that I myself am more important than all the plans. I'm more important than all the problems, all the tasks. See, it's interesting that nard was used for the altar of incense. And the altar of incense daily was burnt with the daily sacrifice for the sacrifice of sins. And it fascinates me that she used a year's worth or would cost a year's worth of wage of nard on Jesus. See, I think this was more than just preparing a dead body. Like, you know, there's the sermons, and it's not a wrong sermon to say, like when a body had died, they'd wrap him in linen, and they'd put perfumes and, and, and on the linens, and, and that's what she's doing. She's preparing them there. I think this is more than that. Just as the altar of incense burned before the sacrifice of sin was given, this is this woman understanding that there needs to be an altar of incense before the sacrifice is given. There needs to be an altar of incense. And just as daily there was an altar of incense burnt day and, and night before the sacrifice was given, Jesus now is not only the sacrifice, but he is also the beautiful altar of incense, that fragrant offering. And so she anoints the sacrifice. She makes him that beautiful altar of incense, that fragrant altar of incense that will soon be sacrificed. Just as 365 days a year, the altar of incense is burnt and the sacrifices are offered, so Jesus will once and for all become the perfect sacrifice and the perfect sweet aroma, that perfect sweet altar of incense, that perfect smelling altar of incense, the perfect sacrifice that once and for all removes any need for any expression of sacrifice or any need or any expression for an altar of incense. This woman understood that, that Jesus is the ultimate sacrifice for our sins, the ultimate expression of the goodness of God. Just one other thing I want to leave you with here is when I see this woman's extravagant gift, I think, am I still willing to give an extravagant gift? Am I willing to give an extravagant offering that everyone else rejects, but Jesus accepts? Am I willing to give an extravagant gift that everyone else ridicules, but Jesus praises? Am I willing to take that which has great value and to pour it on Jesus' head, or to pour it on his feet? Am I willing just to truly surrender it into the hands of Jesus? And particularly to what we're talking about today, is there anyone that Jesus would say, leave her alone? 
leave him alone. Am I judging? Am I assessing? Am I ridiculing? Am I criticizing the offerings of others, the worship of others? I want to leave you with this. I, I just believe there's someone listening right now, and you have been attacked for a prolonged season. You have been faithfully giving offering to God. You've gone into rooms that are full of men who are hostile to you. And you've taken the most precious gifts you have, your time, your energy, your wisdom, your life, your finances, and you have poured them out on Jesus. And instead of receiving praise, instead of receiving honor, instead of receiving encouragement, you have often received scorn and ridicule and judgment. I want you to know that Jesus accepts your offering. Not only does he accept your offering, but he rebukes the men and sometimes the women who've rejected your offering. I want you to hear the words that he said to that woman, and I want you to let him say them to you. Let me read this. There were some who said to themselves indignantly, why was the ointment wasted like that? For this ointment could have been sold for more than 300 denarii and given to the poor. And they scolded her. And Jesus said, Leave her alone. Why do you trouble her? She has done a beautiful thing to me. You, my friend, have done a beautiful thing for the Lord. To the Lord. He sees it and he is pleased. May God richly bless you today. All right. Thanks for listening. I appreciate that. Hey, if you'd like more information about what I do, you can go to my website, fairlyspiritual.org. I'd love it if you'd pick up my book, The Community of God, A Theology of the Church from a Reluctant Pastor. You can get that at Amazon. Uh, my brother sings this theme song. You can pick up his music on iTunes. Make room for the Lord. He knows you by name. I will see you next time. They say that I cannot do what you've called me to. It is not possible, unattainable. I will never see it through. But you've spoken by your word. Your Holy Spirit's leading me. You are my only one. You're the only one worth living for. So I'm dreams with you